Tales from the Trenches, stories forged in the fires of experience. This episode brought to you by Yellowknife Safety, keeping workers safe for over 25 years. Learn more at yellowknifesafety.com. All right, everyone. Thank you once again for joining us on Did You Know? This time we're hanging out with Terry Dassault of Yellowknife Consulting Services. Terry, how are you today? Doing well. Thank you. So we're here to talk about changes in regulations, changes in EPA expectations, and to help people understand that a lot of what we do in the industry actually falls under things like the Clean Air Act. So we always talk about here in the air conditioning and refrigeration industry, the Section 608 certification. Well, what is Section 608? Well, it's actually, it's a piece of the Clean Air Act, right? And we've had a lot of changes to the Clean Air Act over time. We've had a variety of amendments. We've had a lot of things that we've had to focus in on what's changing in the industry based on our 608 certification. But it really comes down to the environment. All right, we have section 608 that covers our residential, commercial, air conditioning, refrigeration. We have section 609 that covers automotive, but there are many industries that have sections of the Clean Air Act that we still focus on. And we'll come back to section 608 here in a little bit, but Terry's got a, a great analogy of how an industry has to look at the environment and to look at the Clean Air Act. So one really cool one comes from Section 517, where we talk about the use of uh, MTBE. And there's been a lot of regulations that's changed with that. And it's a fascinating topic, Terry. So let's talk a little bit about your experiences with the Clean Air Act and evolution of the Clean Air Act. Yeah, so uh, for me, it kind of goes way back to when I was a child, because I remember, you know, living here in Southern California, uh, waking up, going outside to play. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you uh, play for a couple hours and the smog was uh, so impactful um, that after just like two hours of playing, it was hard to breathe. That's hard to and imagine. So there was always this little brown layer of smog in Southern California. Mm -hmm. And as California grew and there was more vehicles on the road, um, the oversight agencies started to kind of like expand and they realized we have to do more. Right. Let's make some uh, kind of change. Yeah, there had to be some kind of changes. And so with uh, vehicles, they obviously tried to reduce emissions. Sure. And I remember uh, way back when they were trying to get the hydrocarbon count down mm -hmm. on, you know, so they could just, you know, improve the efficiency of the gasoline engine, right? There was other ways that they were trying to improve air quality in, in, the, uh, in this basin here, not just SoCal, but LA and other areas. And so one of the things that they came up with, which was kind of genius in a way, but it was probably not fully researched and sure. so you know here they decide we need to make a, a change in a change that's going to make a significant improvement with the air quality okay but they didn't they didn't really think it all the way through not enough know? research not enough research and they just didn't have 
enough knowledge, I think, at the time. Okay. So one of the things they came up with was, um, the, well, everybody used to use these octane boosts in the yeah. car, right? So they it would, uh, add that to their fuel. And the uh, main ingredient in that was a product called methyl tertiary butyl alcohol or butyl ether. MTBE is hmm. uh, the acronym. Okay. And so uh, what they did is they started uh, testing it and they realized that they could possibly start adding this into the fuel supply. And they figured out that for every 10 gallons of fuel, if you add one gallon of MTBE, it would be optimum for making fuel burn cleaner. Hmm. And the testing was a huge success. Okay. And so they ended up implementing it. And of course, you know, they always have deadlines by right. you know, when you have to have these formulations, you know, uh, sure. and when they have to be implemented. And uh, Chevron might have their version of uh, of what they call it. Like they, they're using MTBE, but they mm -hmm. might call it, you know. Uh, Give their own proprietary label. Yeah, Tech sure. Clean or, yeah. you know, they, have, they all have their different name for it. So uh, they start using it. And one of the problems that they had that they didn't really think about is a lot of the fuel ends up in underground fuel storage tanks. Sure. And uh, underground fuel storage tanks in, in the past were made of metal. Yeah, all steel. So now they're, they're double wall fiberglass. Okay, so... Mm -hmm. The metal part of it was the problem. You think metal's strong, but when you put it in the ground and you could have groundwater mm -hmm. at seven feet or 12 feet, sure, uh, it starts to corrode the bottom of the tank. And then a lot of the re retail operators were starting to realize that their fuel supply was uh, uh, leaching. They were, they were losing fuel, right? Okay. So, and it's going into the soil. Um, and it might just be a little bit, but it ends up going in uh, to the, the sandy soil and it goes deeper and deeper. And the problem with the MTBE additive is that it's highly toxic and it's lighter than water. So it's very mobile in hmm. soil and okay. groundwater. It finds its way into the shallow aquifers. And uh, the problem with it is if it ever ends up getting into the deep aquifers that's where a lot of the counties get the their water, supply. water supplies yeah, oh, yeah sure. and they and they sell that water to the residents right and so it's it's valuable but mm -hmm. uh they realized that all of a sudden uh when they were sampling or checking the water uh, they were they were getting high levels of mtbe in it so it became super concerning, like where, how did this chemical get into the groundwater and, uh, you know, how toxic is it? And right. anyway, they started to realize when they studied it, that it only takes one small cupful uh, to contaminate a million gallons of, uh, water, Not drinking know, water, drinking water. So it's highly toxic. It causes cancer and the county started to pay attention to this because uh, who wants to have free water that you can sell and make a ton of money on. Right. And now all of a sudden 
you don't have that water. You have water. to get it somewhere else. And that's where they have to purchase it. Yeah. And so it became a big problem. And I could go on and on about that. But, um, you know, I want to just emphasize that, you know, the, there was a there was a huge positive in the in the clean air. The downside was the damage to our drinking water supplies. And it wasn't just in California. This went all across the U.S. Sure. So uh, it created it created a big problem. But, you know, so the idea here is, you know, when these regulations come about, sometimes they're not always, uh, you know, you can't think through every scenario. And then, you know, sometimes you have these kinds of things come up and it was kind of like a crisis, you know, and then there was an, uh, another regulation that came out that said, we got to fix this problem. And all the people that were, uh, had franchises to sell, you know, fuel from, mm -hmm. from the oil companies at their retail filling stations, they were given deadlines. I think it was the year 2000 was the deadline. I could be, I could be wrong, but around 2000, the, the law said, your underground fuel storage tanks have to be removed and replaced with double wall fiberglass. Yeah, I remember that. For good, for good reason. So Absolutely. If, you, if you ever, uh, you know, think back to that time, you know, you probably drove by a gas station. A lot of gas stuff. stations getting the parking lots destroyed yeah. and replaced. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's interesting because, you know, a lot of the different industries have these, these, um, mandates or updated uh, regulations and things like that and you know we're at the front end of it and like for hvac you know uh, what does it mean right yeah that's the main thing that's the, the question end. we get is you know why are we making these changes did someone's patent run out on a refrigerant do we have to make changes because it's a it's a monopoly of the manufacturers and no none of that actually because it all comes back to this clean air act Right. We're trying to better our environment. So like with refrigerants, when we first started studying our refrigerants, we recognized that when we introduced the synthetic chlorine into refrigerants, that it depleted the ozone. Right. So we had to come up with solutions. And so we did. So we removed chlorine from the refrigerants, which left us with our HFCs. And then later research found that, wow, we really have some problems with fluorine in the refrigerants contributing to greenhouse gases and global warming. So now we're going to have to reduce the consumption of HFC refrigerants and go to alternatives like HCs and HFOs. And so we've made all these transitions based on acts like the Clean Air Act. And a lot of people don't recognize that there were many pieces to the Clean Air Act. We were just section 608 in the HVAC and refrigeration industry. So many different industries are governed by this Clean Air Act that was established to help reduce emissions, to help reduce greenhouse gases and global warming. We don't always think about the other industries like the automotive and a lot of the small, because here in the Midwest, we don't even really know much about smog except for what people tell us and what we've seen on older videos. So it's very interesting to see that we have made changes to the emissions off from vehicles that weren't always the best choices long-term. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's, uh, 
it's interesting and you know kind of going back to what i said about the smog and being a kid mm -hmm. and going out you know trying you trying to play and after a couple hours it was so hard to take a, a deep breath and you know there wasn't that many people in in southern california back then sure and so the just to know that the smog factor um it was it was so high back even back then and now we have uh almost 50 million people in right. california maybe a little more and you know the freeways are jam-packed but if i go outside and do some kind of rigorous activity i can breathe right so it, it did work it's effective and uh you know a lot of times when these changes are occurring you know there's some kind of other fallout that you know may occur but it's all for the greater good and exactly. you know as you know my my uh job is you know health and safety right so i always try and say look um uh, it's okay shoot for flawless execution you know whether you agree with global warming or you don't agree and all these different changes that they're making with um you know refrigerants or like i think it was back in 2000 in in california they had this thing where they changed the voc standards what was allowable Yep. in California and a lot of uh, contractors weren't allowed to use certain coatings and paints anymore mm -hmm. the Absolutely. ones that were the ones that were really good <laughs> that had high VOCs mm -hmm. they weren't allowed to use them and it was like overnight they had right. to look for alternative uh, uh, products sure and so it creates a huge challenge and you know you kind of like hate it when you're going through it but look, it's, you know, for the greater good of everybody. And it's maybe not uh, something we may not, may not even see the full effect of it in our lifetime. But these are uh, the subtle changes that we need to make to make major improvements overall, you know. So I think it's important. And um, so, like I said, you know, whether you agree with the global warming thing or you don't, um, any way you can improve your industry, it's important, you know, to, I think to uh, just keep that in mind, you know, it's that's what makes we, it better for everybody. And that's what we encounter a lot. We do hear a lot of resistance for our changes in refrigerants, for changes in chemicals and products that we use. But it really does come down to the better good of the environment and for the future generations that will be coming along after us. You know, there are a lot of things that we have created to make life easier or more comfortable, but may not have been the correct long-term solutions. And we're going to see a lot of that going forward. This is just one step in our transformation of an HVAC and refrigeration industry. We are going to see all of our HFC refrigerants going away in this next decade. Well, it's 2036. We'll have a, by 2036, we'll have an 85% reduction of all HFC refrigerants which means we'll have to use things like HFOs, hydrofluorolefins, hydrocarbons, HCs, but we'll also be looking at different refrigerants like our natural refrigerants of CO2, H2O, ammonia. There are a lot of refrigerants out there that we can use. They may just not be as convenient as our CFC and HCFC and HFC predecessors. So change is not easy, but we have to embrace it. We have to look at the alternatives. We have to understand why we are changing products. 
lot of people don't know that the EPA is currently looking at polyvinyl chlorides and the phase out of polyvinyl chlorides. And we go, wait a minute, what is that? And we go, well, that's PVC. <laughs> we go, whoa, what are we going to do if we phase down or phase out PVC? Well, we will find better solutions for the environment and for the generations that come after us. And that's really what it comes down to, is trying to provide a clean environment for our future inhabitants. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, one of the other things I'll share is that I have spent a lot of my career cleaning up contaminated waste sites. Mm. So doing environmental work. And I am at the forefront of these um, former sites where either manufacturing was uh, occurred or uh, sites where, you know, they they dumped chemicals from the oil drilling industry and, you know, there's different types of sludge and there's a lot of byproducts to the, the different things. Uh, I call it like those are sins of the past. Sure. Okay. And when we were, this country was growing and developing, they, they did a lot of different types of processes, uh, plating for, you know, aerospace. They, uh, a lot of the plating uh, products and stuff are super toxic, like cadmium, chromium. And I've uh, been at projects where we had to clean that stuff out of the soil. And in some cases, you know, the, uh, the sites were former aerospace places, like let's say Lockheed or, you know, some of these old places. And they had a lot of buildings on these uh, sites. The sites were big. And a lot of the processes that they used were, uh, you know, back then they weren't doing anything illegal, but let's just say their, their processes weren't sound. Right. Okay. And then, you know, they end up leaking a lot of these uh, chemicals into the soil. It gets into the groundwater and now you have a huge problem. Now, fast forward to, let's say today, we send a construction crew out to a job site. They start using an excavator to dig soil and they call me and say, Terry, uh, we just dug up some soil and now the soil's turning green. And that's one of the things that happens a lot. If you can get into Chrome six, you know, they start digging it and the air hits the, the chemical that's been buried for 30 years. Right now. And it actually starts to change color. Sure. And this is like a multi-million dollar project for Ikea. They're going to build the world's biggest Ikea out here in California. Mm -hmm. And so they've got hundreds of workers out there, different trades and people are driving through it cross-contaminating one part of the site with the other and they have no idea how toxic it is hmm. so we have to go to the you know like the main superintendent we got to shut this whole job down because people are being exposed and just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not there hmm. and you know it could people uh some people were complaining of respiratory problems and things like that. And some of these contaminants uh, in the industrial hygiene world, we'll say, when you have people working on uh, projects and things like that, they measure some of these contaminants in parts per billion. Wow. In air. Right. So it doesn't have to be like uh, a lot, like a high number because Mm -hmm. it's so toxic and potent, you know? So 
Um, these are all the things like from an environmental standpoint that a lot of people may not be aware of, but you know, when you're making uh, changes in, in these industries, um, it's important to remember, you know, that the greater good of what you're doing and, you know, complying is important and just understanding like what it takes to get there. The regulatory agencies are here to help us not really hinder us, but sometimes we look at it and go, oh man, what do we got to do now? You know, <laughs> what are they asking us to do? You know, and, uh, but you know, they're like, you know, you got to have that. Look at, look at uh, countries like China. A friend of mine owns a, a winter sport, you know, uh, type company where they make winter clothes and whatnot. And sure. About, 10 years ago, he tells me, man, the craziest thing happened. I went to China and I had an interpreter and I went to one of the factories where they, they make the clothes, you know, my winter clothes. And they were, they had some workers and they were, they were standing in this giant pond and they have these large sticks. They look like uh, paddles or oars, like for a, a little boat. Right. Mm -hmm. And he says, there's uh, fumes there's literal fumes like coming off this uh, product that they're using to dye a lot of the clothing. And they have like two workers in there and they're stirring all this and they're standing in it up to their knees with their, with their pants rolled up. And he asks the interpreter, he was concerned about their safety because they're basically breathing some kind of toxic fumes. Sure. And he says to his interpreter to ask the the other guy, what about the workers? Like he didn't like seeing them in that you know position, you know, in there working like that. And the guy's response was, oh, uh, we have more workers. Wow. That so crazy? it's like there's little to no concern for, for the safety human of safety. There's little to no concern for the environment. And the thing that people need to understand also is when we go to a place like Target or we go do our products and stuff off of the shelves, um, you don't really know, even though it, it's, it looks a packaged nice and everything, you don't know like the backstory on it. Where did it come from and what did it take to get that product from China to the US, like, you know, the environmental uh, standards don't exist over there like they do here. Exactly. So, you know, it is important. There's there's a bigger picture. Absolutely. And so we will see, we'll continue to see changes to our industry based on things like the Clean Air Act and amendments that we have to the Clean Air Act and even international treaties. So. As we continue in this HFC phase down, it's important to know that we are doing this for the right reasons. And yes, it can be uncomfortable at times, but inevitably it's for the good of our own society. All right, Terry, thank you so much for joining us and we appreciate you being here. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate it.